The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So one of the things that I'm doing this year, I'm spending a lot more time for lots of different reasons, just in stories, reading stories and watching stories and with some friends and partners of mine developing stories. So I've been watching a lot of movies this year. And because I am on a social media hiatus for this year, you would be amazed if you got off social media how much time you have. Like you think that you're not a reader, you're just reading all of your stuff scrolling. Like you've got plenty of time to watch stuff and you can watch full, like long movies, like two hours worth instead of just two hours of watching two minute videos on Instagram. Like you've got more time than you think. So I have watched already this year 28 movies. And there's a problem when I watch movies at home. And that problem is my wife. (laughs) Because I will start to watch a movie all by myself and she will come halfway through the movie and then she will get invested in the movie and then one or two things happens. Either she has to go and do something else and which she wants me to stop the movie and we can finish it later or she will do what she has done in virtually every movie we have seen together since 1997. Fall asleep. (laughs) Like you've never finished a movie. She's never finished a movie the first time. So then I have to stop the movie or somehow I'm Netflix cheating. If I finish the movie that I started by myself. So last Saturday, Uh, She and a friend uh, decided that they were going to go out for brunch because that's what middle-aged white ladies do. So I decided that this was the perfect time for me to watch a movie from start to finish by myself while she was gone. And I, I had seen the preview on Netflix for this movie. I thought it had a really interesting premise, but it's not the kind of movie that I would normally watch. Um, And it's this movie... The Age of Adeline. Now, how many of you have seen this movie? This is not a good movie. <laughs> like you, you, you may like it, and that's fine. I like some movies that aren't good movies. This is not a good movie. But the story of Age of Adeline is pretty simple. The premise is really fascinating. Adeline, played by Blake Lively, was the first baby born on New Year's Day in San Francisco in 1908. And she has a pretty standard life. She grows up, she gets married, she gives birth to a daughter, but her husband is killed in a construction accident during the construction of the Brooklyn Bridge in 1937, leaving her and her daughter. And 10 months later, there is a freak weather event where she drives off the road into a body of water and dies. But because of this freak weather accident, her car is struck by lightning and she is revived. But the thing is, whatever happened in this freak weather accident with the lightning, 
she stays the same age for the rest of her life. She stays 29. Now, I know for many of us, the idea of staying 29 sounds like a pretty good deal. Matter of fact, some of you have been lying for a long time <laughs> about being 29. Like you have, the next time you see 29, it's gonna have a one in front of it. We'll just keep that to ourselves. But this becomes a problem because everybody that she knows gets older, but she doesn't. And so what that means is that throughout her life, she has to adapt to the reality that she gets older and no one else does it. Her daughter gets older and suddenly she's got a problem because she can't tell anyone. And one reason she can't tell anyone is because she herself doesn't actually know what happened, like what caused this, why is it this way? But like many of us, she didn't want to be just an object of study, like to go and be put in some laboratory someplace. So as she gets older, she moves around the world because she's not aging. She changes her name. She travels the globe learning new languages, doing different things. And suddenly all of that begins to change when she falls in love with a man named Ellis. And Ellis is just one of these guys that every woman wants to fall in love with. Like he's kind and very handsome. Like I know it's bad when I'm watching a movie and I'm like, that dude's good looking. Like, <laughs> and he's rich. And they do all of the stuff that happens in like Hollywood movies when people fall in love. And then Ellis decides that he wants Adeline, who he knows as Jenny, to meet his family. And so he's wealthy and his parents are wealthy. And so he invites them away, as all wealthy people do, to their weekend house where grown men wear button downs and slacks on the weekend for reasons that are beyond me. And as soon as she walks in the door, known only to Ellis as Jenny, and Ellis's dad sees her, he says, Adeline. And she explains that the woman that he knew as Adeline was her mother and that she had died several years ago. But one thing leads to another, one conversation and Ellis's dad starts putting all of this together, that this is the Adeline that he knew. And not only that, we discover that when they knew each other 40 years ago in England, that they fell in love. And that Ellis's dad was preparing to ask Adeline to marry him. Now, at this point in the movie, we're not supposed to be creeped out by the fact that this woman has fallen in love with a father and his son. I thought it was weird. And so he has a conversation with Adeline about it and she confesses and she decides to do what she's always done, which is leave. So she packs up all of her stuff. She writes Ellis a note. She gets in the car 
She drives away. Ellis returns home. He's looking for Jenny. He goes to the room where he's staying. He finds a note that she has left him. He races down the stairs, talks to his dad. Look, what did you say? What did she say? What happened? All of this. And Ellis's dad looks at him and he says, she can't. And Ellis responds, can't what? Says she can't change. And I know that that sounds good on the surface to be 29 forever. But have you ever thought about how difficult it would be, how hard and challenging it would be to never be able to die? To never be able to surrender? To never really be known or to know because no one could ever actually know you. There are pieces of you that are always hidden away. And one of the terms that spiritual writers use for death is surrender. One of my favorite theologians says that the spiritual life is a series of surrenders. And to love anything means that we have to surrender. For those of you at some point in your life who have loved someone or fallen in love, that is a journey of surrender. You can't go wherever you want to go and do whatever you want to do anymore. There's this other person that has to be considered in everything. You surrender your ability to just be you out in the world all on your own. If you choose to have children or adopt children, that's a, that's a surrender. Like your life is not your own anymore. You have to surrender pieces of yourself. I thought about this last night. As my daughter was coming back home from New York on a choir trip and planes got delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed and I had to be here this morning and yet I'm standing at Hobby Airport at one in the morning. Like, thank you for the joy of me paying for this trip, not going on this trip and being here at one in the morning. <laughs> to love well is a series of surrenders. And death, death is the final surrender. So if you've been around Ecclesia during our Lenten journey, we've taken these Sundays during Lent to talk about celebrating, to pause on our fast or the thing that we're adding on, to talk about celebrating well. And one of the places where we need to embrace celebration is to celebrate surrender. That is a good and holy and meaningful and beautiful thing, but it doesn't sound like that on the surface. That's what Lent is about and Holy Week. That's why this Thursday, both here and our campus on the west side, we'll host Monday Thursday services. Monday is from the Latin word meaning command following this command that Jesus gave us to love one another, 
as Christ has loved us, surrender. And Jesus, on Good Friday, in both campuses, we will celebrate Jesus' death. Surrender. Because what the scriptures and the Christian spiritual tradition teaches us is that death is a surrender. And surrender is a celebration. Because death does one thing in the spiritual life that it doesn't do away from God. It gives birth to new life. And the term that spiritual writers have used for this kind of surrender, this rhythm of something dying and new life coming up is called the Paschal Mystery. And Ronald Rohrheiser writes about the Paschal Mystery this way. He says, the Paschal Mystery is a process of transformation within which we are given both new life and new spirit. It begins with suffering and death. It begins with suffering and death. Moves on to the reception of new life. Spend some time grieving the old and adjusting to the new. And finally, only after the old life has been truly let go of, is new spirit given for the life we are already living. So what he's describing is Paschal death. That there are places and spaces in your life that for something new to come need to die. And it is the rhythm of life. And so this is how it works. It begins with Good Friday, which is the loss of life, a real death, a real death in your life. It could be a physical death of someone that you know and love, someone that you trust, but it also could be a paschal death of a dream, a hope, a relationship that died. And most of us have lived long enough to know that there are aspects of our lives that just die. And we don't always know what to do with that. And the second phase of the Paschal journey is Easter Sunday. And that's the reception of new life. And you move on from Easter Sunday into the 40 days. It's a time for readjustment to the new and for grieving the old. There's this twofold piece to what happens in those 40 days that you readjust to the world. But you grieve the old, both old and new colliding. And then four, ascension, letting go of the old and letting it bless you, a refusal to cling, cling to the old way of doing, the old way of being, the old way of having. And then finally, Pentecost, the reception of new spirit for the new life that one is already living. And that's so key because in the new life, once something has died in your life, you are already living in that space. You just may not already be living there well. You haven't gone through the journey. And because life is so complex, and there are all of these different domains to your life, that it's very easily possible that in one area, maybe in relationships or work, 
or school, that you're in one place, in one domain, and in a different space, in another domain. But this is the rhythm of life, and it's always happening. So let me give you a small example, because you all got to see me kind of work and cry through this last year as our oldest daughter was preparing to go away to school. And so she was getting ready to go to college, It was a very real loss of grief in our family. It wasn't bereavement. No one died, but it was a grief because as I shared before, like we prayed for her for years because we were told that we would never be able to have children. And she came and then three years later, her little sister came and it's very much a gift, a miracle to us. And then we were the kind of family that I never expected. We were very close, very tight knit. And we loved our family time together but it was getting to be the time for her to leave, for her to move on. And she did. And that that time in our lives where I had relatively good knowledge about where she was, what she was doing, who she was with, where I could actually comment on what she posted on Instagram, Those days were dead. Like it'll never be like that again, ever. Back in January, I was speaking at a conference in Austin and that's where she's in school. So we made arrangements for us to go out to dinner together. And Malia's always been one of those kids she's very much stay close to home, very bookish, introverted, like doesn't like to do a whole lot of new things. And we were kind of worried because it's kind of a bigger city for her to navigate. And she'd been there for a semester already. And she said, oh, oh, dad, I'll just come to where you are. And so she spent her whole day with friends, got into Uber, came to where I was doing this event. And I saw her walk in the back door. And she had this incredible aura and confidence. And I thought to myself, this is not the same child I dropped off here. And it's been good in our home these last months with just me and Rochelle and Kate Like we have discovered new things about Kate and spent time together. Rochelle and I decided since the girls were gone, we would just go to New York this week because we could. (laughs) There's new life, but the old had to die and we had to grieve it well. Now imagine the opposite. Because some of you have probably been there. Some parent who says, you know what? Just because you're graduating high school, like you're staying here in town. These are the colleges that I'll pay for. And if you don't go to one of those, you're on your own. Or you're gonna go into the family business. You're gonna do whatever we tell you to do. Clinging. A failure to surrender. 
to let it die. So earlier this year, while I was reading about Paschal Mystery, I also read through Bono's new autobiography of U2 called Surrender. And it's actually one of the, it's one of the best books I've read in the last four or five years. Even if you're not a U2 fan, like there's so much in the book that I think you would enjoy. But in one of the more memorable moments, Bono writes about his relationship with Michael Hutchins, who was the lead singer of NXS. And he tells a story about the two of them meeting and sitting out by a pool one night, talking about the death by suicide of another rock and roll singer, Kurt Cobain from Nirvana. And Hutchins was talking about how indulgent he thought that was, but he said these words, he says, I think if he could have just seen past this little stretch, like if he could have pushed through, then he would have been okay. Well then, more things happen and Michael and Helena, his wife, grow apart from Bono and his wife, Allie. And Bono talks in the book about how, for him, that's one of the great regrets of his life, that he allowed that, that he and Allie allowed their judgment to create distance between Michael and Helena. Michael and Helena divorce, it's very ugly. There's all kinds of difficulty between Michael Hutchins and his kids. He can't see his kids. And so Bono gets a call one morning and has told the news that on a Sunday morning in Australia, Michael Hutchins in his hotel room dies by suicide as well. And Bono's response to that is a song called Stuck in a Moment You Can't Get Out Of. And he says it's not a very kind song, it's not very open, it's very judgmental, but that's where he was when he wrote it. It's, a, it's absolutely one of my favorite U2 songs, but here is the chorus. It says, you've got to get yourself together. You got stuck in a moment and now you can't get out of it. Don't say that later will be better. Now you're stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it. And what struck me about that is Bono is singing the same thing that the Paschal Mystery is teaching us, that we learn to surrender. And if we don't learn to surrender, we get stuck. And some of us have been stuck in moments for a long time. Some of us are stuck in a moment with our ex, and that's been a long time ago. Stuck in a moment with our parents or our children or with a boss or an event or a death or with God. Because something died and we didn't know how to move on past it, to get through it, to work through it. So in John 12, there is a series of four stories. And each of these stories gives us a picture of what life is actually like, the roller coaster, the rhythm of life in those four stories. And the first story in John 12 is 
Mary anointing the feet of Jesus, which is incredibly important. It's this moment where she is announcing that she believes that Jesus is who Jesus says he is, that he is the Messiah. And that's what you do. You anoint him as king. That's an uptime. And the very next story is the plot to kill Lazarus. Because you remember, and Erica talked about this last week, that Lazarus was dead and now he has been resuscitated. And the Jews think that if they kill Lazarus, like they can kill the message about Jesus because what's spreading everywhere is this story that Jesus has brought Lazarus from the dead. So the thing to do is to get Lazarus dead again. Like that's a downtime. And the next story is a story we celebrate today. In Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem where palms are laid and he rides in on a donkey and the crowd shouts, as Mike mentioned earlier, Hosanna, save us. And then we get to this story in John 12, 20. Among the crowds traveling to Jerusalem were Greeks seeking to follow God and worship at the great feast. Some of them came to Philip with an important request. Sir, we are hoping to meet Jesus. Philip, a disciple from the Galilean village of Bethesda, told Andrew that the Greeks wanted to see Jesus. Together, Andrew and Philip approached Jesus to inform him about the request. Jesus tells him, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat is planted in the ground and dies, it remains a solitary seed. But when it is planted, it produces in death a great harvest. The one who loves this life will lose it. And the one who despises it in this world will have life forevermore. Anyone who serves me must follow my path. Anyone who serves me will want to be where I am. And he will be honored by the Father. My spirit is low and unsettled. How can I ask the Father to save me from this hour? This hour is the purpose for which I have come into the world. But what I can say is this, Father, glorify your name. So this is what Jesus is saying. That in order for God to be glorified, through your life. Things have to die. It's when the seed falls to the ground, that's when it produces much fruit. And I know that it is cruel to talk about death in any group this size because someone is in the middle of a death of some kind or the recent death of someone, but it might be more cruel to not talk about it. Because if we don't, 
we'll all get stuck. That means there are parts of your life that in order for God to do the next beautiful, powerful thing, might mean that something has to die. Maybe it's an old way of relating to a spouse or your children or a former spouse or a parent. Maybe what needs to die is that idea in your head that your body from 10 years ago should look like your body right now. Maybe what needs to die for you is that belief or thought about yourself that someone handed you a long time ago, maybe when you were very young, that you just held on to it. Maybe what needs to die is your youth, trying to be 29 forever. Maybe it's time for the death of an outdated dream. You're just never gonna play Major League Baseball. (laughs) All of us resist our surrenders. It's what we know, the life we expected. But what if in that resistance, we are also resisting the next great thing God wants to do with us, the new life. Because one thing that's always been true is that the best defense against the next move of God is clinging to the last move of God. It's only when a seed falls to the ground that new life is birthed. So how do we surrender? Well, the Paschal Mystery talks about it this way. First, we begin by naming our deaths. The real losses and griefs that we have experienced that are meaningful to us, to claim those, to not run away, not hide, not deceive ourselves and others, that that is no longer a living reality for us. It's dead. Then secondly, we claim our births. Like, what is it you feel like God is leading you into? What is being birthed inside of you? Then we grieve. Grieve what you have lost and adjust to a new reality. Once you have named the loss, it is okay to grieve it. We're not a culture that welcomes grief. And so we avoid it, and so we never move on. And then four... Do not cling to the old. Let it ascend and give you a blessing. This picture of Mary greeting Jesus outside of the tomb, and she embraces him, and Jesus says to her, do not cling to me. Since Jesus and body can be in one place at one time, but Jesus has promised her and the disciples the Holy Spirit, which can be everywhere all at once, even in you. And then five, 
Accept the spirit of the life you are, in fact, living. And this is the beauty of the Paschal mystery is that you don't, you don't get to choose it. You don't get to choose what space you're inhabiting in life. But you do get to choose whether or not you want to get stuck or whether or not you want to surrender. But only one of those leads to new life. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.